My name is Sean Thomas, and I'm the author of Be More Today, a 40-day guide to a better version of you. As doctor of physical therapy, I've seen thousands of people do great things. They came to me with ailments, physical ailments, pain, issues, and they got through them, all because they decided in their mind they were going to do it. So I wrote a book about it. Your thoughts can make you great, or they can make you crumble. Those thoughts actually control everything in your life. I have three things I want you to do. Starts. Things I want you to start doing in your life that you said you wanted to do at some point in time. You said them. Stops. Things I want you to stop doing in your life, which I know you also want to stop. And three goals for your lives. And I take you through a 40-day guide to make sure you take those thoughts for those three things into reality. Now, I put some workouts in there too. Workouts to keep you always on the move because you got to keep moving. you got to stay focused. So, 40 days. Thoughts, workouts, you. And all I want you to do is trust the process and just be persistent. Visit BeMoreTodayBook.com. That's right, BeMoreTodayBook.com. And I guarantee you, if you just trust the process and be persistent, you too can be the best version of you. What's going on, folks? It's your boy again, Dr. Sean Thomas, back in the building, episode 68 of the Be More Today show. We are back, we are back, we are back in the building. And folks, I'm just happy to be here with you. We are still trending, still growing. Be More Today show is live. We are again in 36 countries, trending, trending, trending everywhere. And it's been fun just coming every single Monday, giving you good content and inspiring you to be the best version of you, taking your steps to greatness to do great things. I appreciate all the love and support, all the Facebook likes, all the Instagram likes, all the messages I've gotten from you guys. You guys rock. And the quotation for today, as always, is very, very simple. It says, action without vision is only passing time. Without action, vision, sorry, vision without action is only daydreaming. But vision with action can change the world by Nelson Mandela. Folks, I'm in a place right now in my life where I really feel like I have a lot of action sometimes and a lot of vision, but sometimes those things don't coincide. And if you've been listening to the shows uh, every single week, we're going on this journey. And I want to take you down my steps to greatness for myself. I mean, I wrote this book, Be More Today, 40 Guys, a Better Version of You. And I talk about steps to greatness in the book, right? What you can do, your starts, your stops, your goals. But what does it even matter if I don't put that into my own life, right? If I don't put it into practice myself and do those same things that I say you should be not afraid to do. So I'm making this journey now something that you can also come with me on as I take my steps agreements to make my own private practice. And who better uh, than my good old friend, Dr. Aaron Salinger, owner of Balanced Chiropractic, who will be here today to talk to us about how I and others uh, can go out there and really put their own practice into place. Now, Dr. Challenger is the owner of Balanced Chiropractic. He's an old friend of mine from Ryan University. Bruno, you know, former Paul Walter, the man with the master plan, uh, lives in Rhode Island right now, and he's a great friend of mine. So, ladies and gentlemen, he was on season one, episode 33 of the show. I brought him back. He's actually the first guest we brought back on a second season for the show. So, I am honored to have him on the show. Welcome, my boy. Dr. Aaron Salinger. A-Rock, Aaron Salinger, what's going on? I must have done good on the first show if, I, if I'm the first alum to come back. Yeah, man. Don't just survive. Thrive. That was, thrive. Your, that was your mission. That was your message last time. So Gotta I had to have it. you back on. Gotta do it. I had to have you back on. So listen, Aaron, you, you 
you know, you and I go way back. They don't they know about that already. I really want to have you on the show because you inspired me years ago to go into private practice. Um, you did it off the bat. And, you know, I, I've watched your journey. As people may or may not know, you and I went to school together. We had the same major for a while. You helped me to get through school and IU, vice versa. But you really took that initiative to go out there and use your craft and say, I'm not working for anybody else, I'm working for myself. So I really want to have you on the show today talking about your steps to greatness and simple steps and guidelines that people should know, myself included, to starting their own practice. Now, before we get into those tidbits, can you just share with the people uh, a little bit about Balanced Chiropractic, uh, where it is, where it's located, and, and what you guys do there? Well, one small correction first. I did work for somebody else for three long weeks, just long enough to realize that I'm not built to work for somebody else. Ah, wow. <laughs> um, and, that's, and that was out in Chicago, and then I moved back to Rhode Island. Uh, so I am in private practice in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, we do structural correction of the spine. So we are less symptom focused, although I want people to be out of pain, um, and more looking at x-rays of the spine and correcting curves of the spine and making people healthier people in general, which I feel like is pretty similar to your outlook. It's not about just getting rid of injuries. It's about making you a healthier, stronger person. Um, little tidbit that happened that I'm actually going through right now that just kind of to give you a little taste of, you know, the not so great ends of practice of owning a practice. We had a flood this past weekend. And so I, and there is, you know, schmutz all over the floor and the baseboards are all taken off and all that. And it's got to get repaired, but one of the fun things you have to deal with in practice, it's not slowing us down. We're just explaining to patients. We had a flood. Nobody really cares. They're still getting what they need, but um, still something that we have to deal with. But I, yeah, I am happy, thrilled that you are starting your own thing because you're not built to work for somebody else either. You have thrived. You've done a great job, but I have said it before. You are, you are somebody who needs to, to do their own thing and, and, and make decisions from the ground up. I appreciate that. And again, I, I never forgot. We had a conversation eons ago about this stuff. And I, and I was, I'm not gonna lie to you. I was, I was fearful. Um, I didn't think I knew enough. Um, but nobody does. Right. Right. But I, I'm ready now. And I, I really wanted to be on the show to talk about the steps that you took to get these things done. Because I think for a lot of people who are in my boat, whether it's PT or chiropractic, and again, I'm just glad that you and I can vibe on this on this podcast because a lot of people, we already um, dispel the myths between like PT and chiropractic and the the, the distance that kind of comes with that. I think we all come to kind of work together and can make people better, like you said. And I'm great that we can, we, I'm glad we can actually collaborate. But I do want to talk about the steps because I think the first step is always the hardest step and no one knows really where to make that first step. So what was your first step? Do you suggest is the first step to, if you do want to go out on your own and start a practice, PT, chiropractic, whatever, what is the first step people should think about? The first thing I had to think about was, and this is for anybody who is moving to a new location, if you're going to change states, you got to get a license. You have to have a license to practice. I was coming from Chicago. Um, so before I even came out here, I made sure I got my license. Rhode Island doesn't happen to be particularly hard. I think I got it about three weeks after I applied for it. Um, but the first big step and the big nerve wracking step is um, finding a location. 
because you can't really do much until you have a lo- I mean, unless you're going to be some sort of mobile practice, which I'm doesn't sound like you're going to be doing. You need to find a location because anything you start as a business, you got to have an address. If you, you know, I suppose you could start out with your home address, but that sounds like a lot of paperwork to then switch it. But that's the scariest part is signing lease, committing to, uh, to starting a, to, to renting a space for a certain amount of time. And then you got to decide, am I going to rent a kind of smaller, more cost-effective space to get started with the understanding that eventually I'll have to move or do I want to start out a little bit bigger, understand that finances are going to be a little bit tighter at the beginning, but I won't have to worry about uh, moving for a while. I think that I had uh, initially planned on starting out in a smaller space, and then I found a little bit bigger space that was too good to turn to turn down. So I got that space, and almost 15 years later, I'm still here. I've renovated once. Um, to open it up a little bit to make it much more usable for my purposes. But um, yeah, getting, getting, getting a a space and, you know, there's a lot that comes along with that. You got to look at the market. Where are you going to be? Who is close to you? How convenient is it? Um, You have to look at, what was the other thing I was thinking of? There's going to be negotiation stuff too, because, um, most of the time you are not going to find a space that is already built out the way you need it. Unless somebody was doing something very similar in there before you. Mine was the reason why I could start out with a bigger office is because I didn't have to do much of a build out. It was set up. Okay. For the way I wanted to start. Once I really started to ramp up practice, that's when we did a build out to make it much more useful for my particular particular purposes. Got it. Now, you know, a lot of people, no matter where you are, have had to find a place to live, you know, finding your own place to live is different, right? If you're looking for a place for you or your family, you know, you can go on Craigslist, you can go wherever else and and find spaces. But when it comes to commercial places, right? How'd you even look to find a space that you did find? Um, I started out working with a commercial real estate agent and he didn't find me anything. So, so that was the end of that. And then I resorted to just, I knew I wanted to be on the east side of Providence. I resorted to just driving around the east side looking for four rent signs on places that looked like office buildings. I sort of fell into something good. I kind of got lucky. I called about one place and after 30 seconds of talking, he realized it was just more than I, I mean, I was just starting. It was more than I was able to handle. But he said, I have another place that doesn't even have a sign up yet, but it might be perfect for you. Um, and I went and looked at it and it was perfect and the location is perfect and I'll probably be here my entire career. So I kind of got lucky and fell into the right space. Wow. Wow. And the, and the guy, he was willing to do, you know, I negotiated a bunch of things. I did kind of like a tiered rent payment. So it started out much cheaper to make it doable for me because I was starting without any you know revenue coming in. And then kind of went up over the three-year lease. But I also, there was no central air in my office, which does not work in a practice like this. So I negotiated a way to kind of split the cost and pay it off over time. And he fronted the money, blah, blah, blah. So there was, I didn't have to go build out, but we certainly had to negotiate a little bit of stuff in in here. Amazing. And in terms of location, I mean, as Listeners may or may not know, you mentioned this on the last podcast, you're located by, by Brown University. So I know you had mm-hmm. a lot of contact with people in the area. How much of a, of a factor was that in terms of your decision to pick this spot? Uh, 
I, it was a big factor, although it didn't turn into, uh, it didn't turn out to really mean much. My, I have to tell, like, I wanted to be here. I had looked at places like in Cranston or whatever. And a bunch of people said, if you want to target the East side community, or I even looked at places in other parts of Providence. People said, if you're looking to target the Brown University East Side community, no one's leaving the East Side and going to other parts of Providence or to Cranston. Um, so I eventually, you know, because I had looked at a bunch of other places and even had a lease tentatively on another place, but didn't end up taking it. Um, but uh, I didn't, it doesn't, it, I get patients the same way everybody else does. And I, Connections from Brown have not didn't never really panned out into anything, um, but it doesn't change the fact that I am very happy being uh, you know my Brown students coming in all the time, so I always have a idea of what's going on on campus, um, and I like being on the east side and immersed in the community. But it, it practice wise, it doesn't end up you know no, no I'm not really getting a lot of referrals specifically because of my connections to the Brown community. Gotcha. So then where did or where have most of your connections come from? I mean, you again, you said you came there, um, you found your spot, um, you picked your area. And then how did you really make sure that people knew who you were and where you were? Well, I got to tell you, I was really naive because in my mind, this is my totally not having any idea how it actually works. Mind, I thought patients come from other patient referrals and that's the only source that is how you get patients. And I do get that is one large source, but at the beginning that doesn't work. I didn't even have a website for the first couple months in practice um, because I was naive enough to think, oh, nobody goes on the internet to find a doctor or a chiropractor or whatever. I couldn't have been further off. Um, and it was Tony Atala, class of 04, who finally got me set up um, with a website. And he's been working on it ever since. I actually, he lives in Rhode Island, so I, and he's been coming into my office, so I see him a couple times a week now. But uh, once we got that going, that turned into, and it's really optimized too. So we get a lot of patients off the internet. We have a lot of really good reviews. A lot of patients come in and say, I really liked what the reviews said. Um, and that was another thing that Tony said. He said, if somebody, and this is what I always do in practice, don't be afraid to ask for a good review. If somebody starts talking about how, man, you have really helped me and things are going a lot better now because of the work we've done here. I say, I really appreciate that. Would you mind going on Google and writing a review for me? I might have to remind him a couple of times because it's not first on people's thought process, but I've gotten some really nice reviews that way um, from just asking people to tell the world what they just told me, which, you know, I don't ever get any kickback on that. People are always saying yeah sure that's that's great i'll definitely do that yeah, so and then my my other smaller source of referrals which is not a huge part of my practice but it's definitely there is i do have one um personal injury attorney that i work with um and he sends you know a couple of people a month over it's not a huge part of my practice but enough that i that i mentioned and i also have a massage therapist that sends me over maybe one person a month or so i have a new patient today coming from her um, kind of one of those, I've been working on somebody for years and they still have the chronic, same chronic persistent issues. They should come see you. And those are, those are nice referrals because somebody's already personally vouched for me and said, this guy will figure out what's going on. Gotcha. Um, so yeah. And then we get, you know, a bunch of internet referrals. 
Yeah. So, you know, for most, for most bigger organizations, they have a marketing team, marketing team goes out and they interact with the doctors or whoever, right. To, to get referrals, branding the name, information. Um, mm-hmm. Do you, do you do any of those things? Is there a team that does that for you or you don't do any of that kind of stuff? Uh, I have a Facebook page and my, I actually historically have maintained really good relationships with all my former office managers. My last two before my current one still come in and get adjusted every week. Um, one of them just continues to do my Facebook stuff. So she'll, anybody who likes my page, she'll post some new interesting article every day. But in general, it's for the capacity I have there. I could be a little bit more, uh, a little bit busier, but um we don't have, we don't, I don't really spend any money on marketing. That is not typically the case, but I find that every time I've spent money on marketing, it didn't pan out. It works best that I just, people find me organically um, on the internet and I, you know, patients will refer people in and the other sources I was talking about. I really, every time I try and every time I spend money on advertising, it doesn't really, it, it seems to be a waste. Hmm. So That's interesting. Cause I, I know that, you know, at least on my end, even where I work now, a lot of the people that I do see mm-hmm. are, are friends of somebody who came to see you before. Um, somebody mm-hmm. went to my church, told somebody else, and then, you know, it, it's a lot of word of mouth. We do have our right. we go out there and we send out our gifts, whatever else, our MDs, but a lot of the referrals that personally ask for me, I'm, at, I'm saying, you know, are, are hey, you know, I, I know, do, do you know Anne? Who's Anne? Well, Anne, Anne is my friend. Anne told me to come and see you. I'm like, okay. Right. So, those yeah, are the I, best I, referrals. Yeah, those are the best. I can completely understand that. Those are the best referrals because yeah. they're honest, they're genuine, and you know that someone was pleased with your service. Right. And that Somebody vouched for you. Exactly. Somebody vouched exactly. for you. Exactly. Um, which is uh, the best kind of referral is because the kind of work that I do is not entirely covered by insurance. Most of it ends up being out of pocket. Um, the best referral is not only somebody who sent, who got sent in from somebody else, but that person has explained the type of work that I do. So they know what to expect, which is, you know, cause a lot of people think they're coming in and, you know, three visits corrected. And I'm like, you know, 40 years of dysfunction in your spine doesn't get corrected by three visits. Right. Um, so the best referral is somebody who has explained you know, who, who has been the person who referred him in has explained the kind of work that we do. Yeah. So what do you do when, and we'll get back to the marketing and the, and the branding in a minute. What do you mm-hmm. do when you do face a situation where, you know, even though you're doing your Facebook pages and your, and your posts or referrals for whatever reason, for that week or that month are low, what's, what's your, what's your solution and your go-to when those things start to arise? Don't panic. Wait till next month. They'll pick up. It always comes in ebbs and flows. I don't, I have enough people under care that I don't depend that much on new patients because we do a lot of wellness care here too, which is, which, which means, you know, people just understand that coming in and getting adjusted every week, every two weeks makes their body function better, keeps their spine functioning well. It's like brushing and flossing every day. It's like going to the gym. It's like eating healthy. We're still going to use our cell phones. We're still going to use our computers. We're still going to do the things that put stress on our spine. So you got to stay on top of it. So, you know four or five new patients a week, three to five new patients a week. And that is fine. Some weeks I'll have like seven or eight. Some weeks I'll have two or three and it always evens out. Yeah. I think that's a concept that I'm learning now because I've worked in such a big environment for such a long time that numbers for me are just so big. 
So, mm-hmm. you know, when you say five or six, I'm like, oh, that's not really a lot. But right. it's just you. So it, it, make, it makes the whole perspective very, very different. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm know, the only one I have to pay. There's not right. 30 staff members that have to be paid there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is very interesting. And I, I, I like that about the concept. Um, so in terms of your team, so you're helping wellness, um, component of a massage therapist who's there sometimes, and then you, correct? The massage therapist doesn't even work here. She works at Massage Envy. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, it is me. It is my office manager. And right now, her 15-year-old daughter is my assistant out because we have an open area. She's my assistant out there and does, I, I, you know, I joke with her, oh, man, I wish she could drop out of school to be my full-time assistant, but not really. Because <laughs> um, she's like the best I've had. A, but, you know, my office manager has been with me for like four years. She... She runs everything other than adjust people and some billing things that I still do. But in general, she's on top of things. She's my long-term solution. Um, I just started getting her health insurance to because her situation changed to Matt. She's my long-term person. Um, and then her daughter will be here over the summer. And then we're probably going to look for a new, you know, it's not full-time, but like 30 hours a week uh, person to be out there to help me just, you know, take people through the postural exercises and everything while I'm adjusting. Because outside of adjusting a lot of it is you know you're on a care plan it's the same thing it's the same way like a like a pta can do a lot of the daily you know stuff but you have to do all the evaluations and re-evaluations and all that kind of stuff um so it's just three of us right now amazing yeah it works it works good i don't i don't need i don't really have space for another chiropractor in here to be honest i'd have to move if i wanted to get an associate which you know would be a great thing to do one day but right now i'm really happy with the flow and the way everything works here. That's great. So, you know, Balance Chiropractic is, is your name. Um, did you decide to do LLC, S-Corp, C-Corp? How did that go about when you were determining setting up the business? Well, the other option is just being a sole proprietor. Um, and although that sounds dangerous, um, I, I am an S-Corporation. Um, my understanding is that a C-Corp isn't even an option for a practice that size that's a much larger uh operation uh so for me it was a choice really i wasn't ever going to be a sole proprietor just for you know tax reasons but it was a choice between an s corp and an llc and after meeting with my attorney who actually still use the same guy who i don't do much but i still use the same uh attorney that, that set up my s corp in the first place he said quite frankly the differences are so nuanced and and minute that um flip a coin you can pick which one you, you want to do. And he wouldn't even, although he suggested doing an S-Corp or an LLC, he wouldn't have been completely against me just being a sole proprietor. Maybe things have changed 15 years later, but um, at least the way it was explained to me at the time in Rhode, the way Rhode Island state law works is you're not completely shielded. Your, your, your personal assets aren't completely shielded by an S-Corp or an LLC anyways. Um, there's just a lot more paperwork to go through. Um, but for a variety of reasons, we decided to go with an S corporation. Gotcha. So that's what it is. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm, that makes me happy because Be More Today actually is an S corp. Yeah. So, you know, my, my whole plan, I think, is to transition this into Be More Today PT because mm-hmm. I already have the foundation. I already have the website. I already have a lot of things in place already. So the presence. Um, 
Yeah, I, 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 I the brand, the brand. Exactly. And that's why we do these podcasts and these shows and, and continuing just, again, take these steps of greatness to figure out what people want to do, but myself included in that thing. So I'm appreciative for that. Um, so the S Corp is done. You have the website, you have your marketing team, um, which is basically your, your, your social media, which is progressing in your, in your patients or your clientele. Um, did you have to take any small loans out to run the business? How did that go in the transitionary period for you? I started out very small. I started out, I mean, it didn't cost much to start. So I started out with um, good old mom and dad helped me out to, to get going. When I, because I didn't put that much money in in the first place, when I went to go do the build out and really upgrade my equipment and totally change the practice, I took out a small loan. And I, you know, paid it off over five years or something like that. Um, that was a happy day when I was done paying it off. Yeah. Do you think so, that that's the norm in terms of people who do want to start a private practice to take out some kind of small loan? Okay. Yeah. Because you got to remember, you you need operating capital. You don't need just enough money to put, you know, to buy your equipment and then pay for first month, last month, and and security deposit. Pardon my French, you ain't making any money at the at the beginning. You're certainly not. You're going to be in the red. You might be making some money, but you're not even going to be covering your expenses at the beginning. It took me about nine months before I broke even every month. So you need extra capital in order to continue, you know, pay all your bills while you're not making while you're while you're making less money than what your overhead is. Yeah, and your overhead is going to be lower, but. I got to tell you, I, I went three and a half years without a single employee other than myself. I don't know that I would do that now. I, I, I would, if, if my advice to a new practitioner is find somebody just to at least answer phones. You're not paying them a $50,000 a year salary, but somebody just to answer phones and give that, it looks a lot more professional to have somebody else answering the phone and greeting patients and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, that would be my suggestion. And that takes capital before you're covering your expenses right so with all those things that were happening right you're you're recognizing or you recognize that you did need some more help in the beginning but you figured out a way to do it for those nine months what motivated you or kept you going to say this is going to be okay did you go in the right direction and i look at statistics i i i mean i not, I'm not going to cite any specific statistics, but in talking to my accountant at the time, um, business, new businesses in general fail. Let's be, let's be realistic more. I would, my understanding is that more new businesses fail than actually end up turning profitable and sustaining. Um, but you could pull healthcare out of there. A chiropractic or a PT practice has a much higher chance, uh, of, you know, of, of thriving than, than any other kind of business because you know there's already a market for it. People are searching the internet for a physical therapist. People are searching the internet for a chiropractor. Um, it's a lot easier. There, it's, a, it's, a, it's a much higher percentage. And with that said, I don't know physical therapy-wise, but I know plenty of chiropractors who did not fail in practice. I mean, did not make it in practice and ended up shutting the doors and going to work for somebody else which is always a shame to see. But when I look at the steps they took and everything they did, I can always point out a bunch of things. I'm like, oh man, this was a death sentence, the way you're doing this. 
like when, you know, treating a patient solely based on what their insurance covers versus what their body needs. Then you're shortchanging yourself and you're shortchanging the patient because a lot of patients would say, no, I want what my body needs. I'm willing to pay for it. People understand there's value in what we do. That was probably my biggest mistake when I started in practice was, was setting up treatment plans based on the 12 visits that the insurance covers, which is not realistic. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's very valid. Um, speaking about insurances. So, you know, most people know that everyone should have or tries to have or needs to have some kind of insurance, right? Mm-hmm. But when it comes to having a private practice, you know, you have to kind of go out there and, and, and make sure that you're licensed or at least in network or out of network for certain insurances. What was that process like for you in terms of setting up balanced chiropractic? So you got to get in there. Anybody who does a solely cash practice, I don't understand because I think that is like cutting out like half your potential patient base. Um, when people, it gets them in the door. Once they get in the door they and we go over a report and do all that kind of stuff, they understand that unfortunately, I can't answer this for physical therapy, but for chiropractic, somebody might have a $40 copay per visit and Blue Cross only reimburses seven more dollars than that. So I get a... Seven, uh, I get $7 from the insurance company. So they're not really covering that much. But once I'm able to show them what's going on in their spine and explain it all to them, you know, we can get the idea out of their head that it's like $150 if it's self-pay or something like that. We can show them it's actually affordable. Um, but in terms of getting, yeah, you have to accept the injury. There is one insurance that we don't accept because, you know, just even getting started with a patient is just so the amount of paperwork and the amount of visits they actually give you are just so prohibitive. Like, you know, I think we, the Charlotte the broken camel's back was I had somebody come in for frozen shoulder, which I, you know, don't really deal with that often anymore. And the insurance company gave me four visits. I was like, okay, this is, this is the wrong insurance company to be working for. And luckily it's not that popular anyways, but it's not terribly difficult to get into insurance networks now because of the, are you familiar with CAQH? Yes. Okay, so you're probably already on it, but all your stuff is linked to um, JAG1. Correct. Um, but I don't think it should be very hard to go in there and, and update it. But that way, you just have to basically contact all the insurance companies, let them know you want to get in a network, and then they will get in touch with CAQH and get access to that and pull all the info they need. I think Medicare is the only one that um, that you have to do it. <laughs> not easy to get a network with medicare it's a lot of it's a lot of paperwork and then for a while we didn't you know we didn't have any patients and if you're stagnant for a certain amount of time they automatically unenroll you and you better re-enroll as a as a provider we don't do a ton of medicare work not because i don't love medicare patients but medicare is very stringent in their guidelines which is and even if you're not participating in medicare i don't know if you're familiar with this even if you're a non-participating provider and you just give the patients the bills you still can only bill them what medicare rates are and you're still open to an audit if they don't like something about the way you're building even though you have no legal agreement with them whatsoever so medicare is the one insurance company you can't really opt out of you as a as a licensed healthcare provider in this country you have to follow Medicare's guidelines on Medicare patients. Yeah, I know Medicare very well, unfortunately. So yeah, yeah, I completely understand all of those things. Um, not fun. Not fun. No. <laughs> but um, I, it sounds like you really have a, a a clear understanding on what is best 
insurance wise for your practice are people mm -hmm. when you meet them because again i think prior practice is, is different in the sense that you know when people go to bigger places most of them are, are going to be in network so they can already assume that that's not going to be a problem when people do mm -hmm. come in and they have the option to either pay cash or uh, to, to use their insurance is there any hesitancy do they feel like they don't want to see you or they rather go to a different place like how do you deal with those situations when they do arise uh, well, when somebody comes in for their initial visit, I'm not laying my hands on them. I am doing history. I'm doing an exam. I am sending them for x-rays so I can see what their spine looks like. And all they know at that, all they need to know at that point is this is what you're, this is what it's going to cost to get some answers and figure out what's going on. The next visit they come in, I've been doing this a while. I have processes and systems for the way I explain this all to patients, because if you just say, this is what's wrong, this is how much it's going to cost. Nobody's going to do it. It takes some education. They have to understand um, that there is value in care that insurance doesn't pay for. Insurance doesn't ne isn't necessarily a, what insurance pays for is not necessarily a very good determinant for what is of value. Does that make sense? Um, so that's when I break it all down. I explain what insurance covers, what it doesn't cover. Then I run into situations where there is not a hard limit on the number of visits. But I also can't just keep billing insurance forever. So I have to explain treatment plans versus care plans. Treatment plans is what the insurance company wants to see. They, even though I don't consider myself a pain doctor, they consider me a pain doctor. So I rarely will bill insurance for more than six months, more than uh, three months worth of care. Because anything beyond that, you're opening yourself up to an audit. And that's when I have to explain to patients, we're still correcting the problems, but because you're not in any active pain, that's the end of what we can legitimately bill insurance for. And this is how we do finances after that. Most people choose care. There's some people who say either you're, you're full of it, you're crazy, which doesn't happen that often because I do a pretty good job of explaining why this is necessary. Um, but some people just, they don't want to spend the money. And most people who don't want to spend the money, it is not because they cannot afford it. And I'm making my own judgments. I have no idea what somebody's real financial situation is. But like I've had, you know, people who are gain clearly gainfully employed say it's too expensive. And what they're really saying is, I don't value it enough to put my money towards that. Now, occasionally somebody comes in. I mean, like I have people who are on state health insurance sometimes, which covers one of them at least covers 12 visits. More often than not, when I explain the whole care plan, they continue self-pay after that. That all sounds great, Aaron. I really feel like um, you broke that down pretty well for me. My last insurance question for you is, so you're treating, you're doing insurance in terms of education for the patients. I'm guessing you're also calling to verify insurances on the phone. How do you balance all these things now if it's just you? So right now I have you a mean, you mean there. you mean before I because I have my office manager that does all that stuff. Oh, okay, 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 okay. She does all that, and I gotta tell you, most insurances that come in, if it's Blue Cross or United, they have a website. She pops right on and in 30 seconds she knows right. what their insurance covered. Occasionally someone will come in with an out-of-state insurance and she'll have to get off the phone, but that's or get on the phone with them. But that's why when I bring patients in, I'm doing an initial eval with them where I'm not even gonna charge anything. I'm looking at their posture, I'm just palpating around. Um, to see whether I even think they're the right patient for my office, whether I even think I can, before we even do anything that incurs a fee. 
she's verifying their insurance at that point. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and then she lets me know beforehand. So I can say, look, this is, I think you're in the right place. I think we're going to figure out what's going on. If we do a full evaluation, this is what your copay is. And, and that this is what it'll cost to figure out what's going on. Anything beyond that, when I do the report, we'll also go over that. Gotcha. Like I said, a whole system that uh, I learned from my practice coach. Yeah. So I like going to seminars and workshops and stuff to learn how to do all this. Yeah. But that, that has, I think it sounds like that's been the key, having that coach or that, that, mm-hmm. or that guidance on the back end, which, you mm-hmm. know, I never really thought about until um, I met uh, our last couple guests who were talking about, you know, the coaching that you would need to make these steps. I think everyone needs that kind of guidance um, mm-hmm. to get to where they want to be. So the fact that you're still doing that, even, you know, I'm teen years out is a testament, I, I think, that we should all take away from that, that you need that, even when you are established, just to continue to grow and to maintain. Is you can it holds you accountable to do the things that you know you need to do to keep the practice thriving. Got it. Because I'm, if you're paying every month for, for a service, you better do what you're supposed to be doing and get your money's worth out of it, which we do. So. Got it. What are some of the tips that you gain from those interactions? So are they more like based on KPIs and how to do those things or just like strategies to maintain and grow your, your practice even more? Patient communication. Sorry, I'm just looking at who's calling there. Um, patient communication. How do all the things I'm talking about, explaining the first visit, what this covers and explaining what's going on in your spine and how this affects your whole body and how finance, all of that. There's the whole, you know, it's laid out on how you do these things from experience. I was naive and stubborn enough to think, ah, I know how to do everything. I just, I found somebody, I had a coach who basically just gave me the nuts and bolts to physically start a practice, but not how to actually get it thriving. Right. Um, they teach you how to set up the finances, like the way we do it. Um, the best way to make it work beyond what insurance covers. Um yeah, it's a lot of it is patient interaction and keeping patients focused and motivated. Yeah, yeah. Do you do EMR as well? Like, what do you have a software you use for these things? Or mm-hmm. okay. Yep, I have uh, Eclipse Healthcare. Where is it? Eclipse Practice Management. That's what it is, and it's my clinical notes. It is my patient accounting, and it is my scheduling. And then we also have a texting system that syncs with that and texts appointment reminders and all that kind of stuff. And they show and you I, those things? Or that was something that you, on your own? Oh, I already had that when I started. So I started out with one software, and I was never really happy with it. And I paid gobs of money for it. And then they stopped supporting it. And then I had a problem, and that was the end of it. Okay. So I had to go and buy new software. But the new software was actually less expensive and way more functional. Gotcha. Um, it's, not, it's not one of the, you know, it's, it's, it's for a small private practice, and it does everything I need to do. Yeah. Yeah, we have the same WebPT as what we've been using, what I've, I've been using mm-hmm. for the last nine years. So very similar, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Um, but yeah, you know, and just listening to all, all you're saying, Aaron, and processing what you're saying, I, I really feel like, you know, for me, at first, it sounded very daunting. When we spoke a couple of years ago, and I was like, yeah, 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 we'll figure it out. And, you know, I, I just went back into my, let me work for the corporate and just get it done. But, you know, recognizing the bigger picture, recognizing the, the worth that I have, recognizing the worth that people have in, in their professions, um, and hearing you explain basically, you know, what you've been doing for the last couple of years, it makes it seem less daunting. It makes it seem like it's actually something that 
can be done without, uh, uh, oh, I mean, I know the stress involved clearly because I've spoken to other people who go into private practice and they say, yes, it's hard, you know, but that's- You're gonna be sitting by the phone waiting for the next phone call and right. my number is similar to Cox Communications, the phone company. So boy, was it frustrating every time somebody called up and wanted to ask me a question uh-huh. about their cable and I was hoping it would be a new patient. It's also very similar to the electric companies or the gas companies. So a lot of people were having gas problems that right. that I could not solve for them. Right. But you did it. But you did it. And you've been doing it and you will continue to do it. So what what's the last bit of advice that you would give to a person like me or anyone who's trying to go out there and really start their practice? They've been practicing for a while. They know their work now. They want to go out there and they want to do it. And we already went through the whole gamut of what they need to do in terms of setting things up. But what's the one bit of advice you would give to somebody to kind of charge them to go out there and say, look, this is something that you can do and it will be successful in the end? Uh, set yourself, it sounds like a weird thing to say, but set yourself up financially so you're not stressing about that. I, you know, make, make sure that, you know, it was a lot easier for me. I didn't have any kids. I didn't have anything. I had no expenses. I was living like a pauper for a while. It's a little bit, I have a friend who's an optometrist too. I'm working on trying to start his own practice also um just make sure that you have a nest egg a cushion so that you're not compromising what you really want to do because you're so concerned with turning a profit right away does that make sense you have to be patient don't take shortcuts don't do anything that cheapens yourself like one of the things i i'm not judging anybody I don't do any Groupon ads or any like Facebook specials or anything like that because it cheapens what you do. Giving away, you know, $25 exams is, you're not, you're not helping the world. You're not, you're just cheapening what you do. It's devaluing what you do. So make sure that you're not stressed to just get patients in the door right away and you can take your time and grow it the right way. Mm. Does that sort of answer that? Yeah. I know that's easier said than done, but it is the worst thing people can do is be in too much of a rush to get things off the ground and being profitable because they're desperate. Right. And I probably did some stupid things while I was starting my practice also, not that I had immediate expenses, but it's easy to get sucked into doing that. So just be patient, listen to the people who are telling you the right way to do it. Yeah. I appreciate that. I appreciate that very, very much. Any final thoughts you want to share, Dr. Salinger, about chiropractic, balanced chiropractic? Um, and if not, where can people find information about you and what you're doing in Providence? You the man. That's my final thought. Um, <laughs> our website is providencechiropractic.com. Um, and we have a Facebook page that you can look at things on there. But mostly our website kind of, it's a little bit under maintenance right now. It needs a little bit of work. But um that's where you can find out the most information. It talks about how we're, you know, analyzing the spine, making people healthier and the different kinds of things we do. And we definitely work with, we're not just adjusting people. We're, we're working with, you know, some whole body vibration and all that kind of stuff to do different exercises. And it's a lot about brain and muscle training here. Fantastic. So, Fantastic. Listen, Aaron, I love connecting with you as always. You know, you, you're one of my, my old school buddies and, um, you know, from our recruiting trip when we were in track and field to, you know, this day, it's been a pleasure really just knowing you and seeing your growth. Um, you've inspired me. And I got to say that, you know, when this thing does get up and running, 
I will look back and and say who are people who actually pushed me to do this, and you're at the top of that list. So Good. I appreciate you. I appreciate the work you're doing in Providence, Rhode Island, still, and um, I really hope to see you soon. I have one part, final parting thought. Yes, sir. Your your right shoulder looks a little bit low the way you're sitting there. <laughs> I think that's just my swag. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just saying the definition of swag is almost bad for your boss. You know, <laughs> That's my guy, folks. Dr. Aaron Salinger, thank you so much for joining us on episode 68. Uh, and for those who are trying to go up there and really start their practices, uh, listen to what he said. You know, he talked about a lot of things, a lot of nuggets that you need a coach. You need someone who really actually help you walk through this thing. But the steps that he outlined are very, very simple, right? Go out there, figure out where you want to be. Uh, make sure your things are in line. Uh, be patient during the process, right? And make sure that you take your steps to greatness, if you will, uh, uh, slowly and and methodically. Um, he didn't make any rash decisions, although he said he did, he did make some mistakes along the way, but that's with everything in life. And I took from that that he never got flustered, that he never had a chance where he was saying, this is not going to be the right thing for me. He made his decisions. <clears throat> he took his advice from other people, his counsel, and here he is today, still thriving with his practice in Providence, Rhode Island. So I am and implore you and inspire each of you to go out there. And if you want to do something that's going to be on your own, go out there and make yourself the greatest to do it. I have a coach I'm going to be working with starting next week. So I'm excited for that. And it all ties back to our quotation today. Action without vision is only passing time. Vision without action is only daydreaming. But vision with action can change the world. Let's change the world together. Let's get out there and do what we want to do. Stop making excuses. Let's be more together. And I hope that I, too, can continue to take my steps to be the best version of me. I appreciate all of you. We will see you next week and have a great week. Peace.